Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello and welcome to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast AFC Team Preview Editions. I'm your host, Ian Harditz, and joining me on this lovely, lovely Wednesday afternoon, as he always does, PFF's finest, Kevin Cole, host of the Unexpected Points Podcast, does a bunch of other cool shit on PFF.com. Kevin, what's going on, man? Uh, I'm good. I'm good. But let's face it. I mean, it's it's Gino's world. We're just we're just living in it. We're just living in it right now. I mean, that game for for I, I'll give credit to the Detroit Lions for a season when scoring is down, passing is down. They're doing more offensively and defensively than any other team in the NFL to to boost things back up, to get us some some fantasy and some scoring goodness this season. America's Lions, as uh, I'm starting to call them. I know the whole restore the roar thing. Everyone was trying to say they were going to be this good football team, and maybe that hasn't come to fruition. But number one ranked scoring offense, number two, number 32 ranked scoring defense. Are you not entertained? I know that I am. More on them, you know, in the next podcast because we are talking all things AFC today. Awesome intro by both of us there. But guys, let's get right into it. As always, going through division by division. Going to quickly give, you know, an overview, more of a big kind of macro real life question about the team quickly get in their matchup talk about any key fantasy takeaways on to the next one so thank you as always for tuning in and with that kevin we are on to the three and one buffalo bills sitting atop the afc east number one point differential in the nfl at plus 56 do you agree with what the points say that this is the best team in the nfl yeah, no, I do. I mean, they were the best team in the NFL by the numbers to start the season. And if you look at implied market numbers, you look at the betting spread in the coming week and then any sort of lines that we have in advance, um, they were telling you they were the best team all season long. And even the games that they've been close in or they've or, you know, even the game that they lost, it wasn't like. It was it was they were clearly blown out. They didn't look impressive, both offensively and defensively. This is a really, really good team. They had a hard schedule to start, and I think they've filled all of our expectations. Now, the interesting thing I have seen with the Bills so far, we'll see if it continues to persist this week against the Steelers. Buffalo, 14-point home favorites, game total at 47. Is Josh Allen, man, they've neutered him a little bit, or maybe it's been, you know, a co-kind of uh, effort there, but Career low, 7.1 yard average target depth. He's getting the ball out of his hands faster than ever. Look, it's still a top five offense, but I kind of missed the Josh Allen, Kevin, that, you know, threw to a double covered fullback 40 yards downfield in the playoff game without a second thought. Probably a good real life thing, but do you think that, uh, you know, just again, him kind of restraining himself a little bit, being a little bit more conservative, is that why we've been able to see someone like Devin Singletary just really start to give us a lot more fantasy production that maybe we were expecting? Because this isn't the same offense where Josh is just, you know, 
know, completely ignoring the checkdowns, completely ignoring the easy 10 yards right there for him. And accordingly, man, alongside a really, really, you know, robust snap rate that he's now had in back-to-back weeks, Devin Singletary looking more and more like a feature back who should be in the, you know, majority of fantasy lineups. Yeah, I mean, can we trust him? I don't know. We, we probably had too many false starts on him in the past to say that. But we have hints from the offseason with the pursuit of J.D. McKissick and then spending the second-round pick on Dalvin Cook that this was going to be part of what they do. It keeps Josh Allen a little bit healthier to get rid of the ball a bit quicker. And on the offensive line, it's not quite as solid as we have seen in the past. So I think those two things do play into it. Now, Gabe Davis, you know, let's talk everyone's favorite Rorschach test. When we look at what you think, when you look at Gabe Davis, I think we're seeing everything here. We're seeing if you want to, you know, tout your Gabe Davis take and say he's been injured recently, which I think also lowers the ceiling on throwing the ball down the field because he's not looking as healthy. The weather conditions last week, I think that's true. At the same time, the guy probably isn't the target earning machine that you would hope going into this season. Um, That will open things up, though, if he can play a little bit more. Isaiah McKenzie, you know, concussion, we'll see what ends up happening. I'm sure the concussions or protocol is going to get tightened up everywhere across the league. He's going to be playing more with Jameson Crowder down, so maybe they can get some more uh, looks down the field. I I think Josh Allen is not going to be like the lowest percentage of downfield passes that we've seen so far, but he may not be the highest either. Second place, Miami Dolphins sitting at three and one this week. They're going to be in New York facing the Jets. Jets are going to be three and a half point home dogs game total at 44. What is your expected drop off from Tua to Teddy, Kevin? We have heard, you know, Tua is going to be out at least this week. You would like to think they're going to, for once, be conservative about bringing him back. But just purely on field, looking ahead at week five now, Tua to Teddy. Is it as big of a difference as maybe we're all making it out to be? I think it is in that my whole like Tua is 2017 Alex Smith thesis still requires a certain level of, you know, arm strength where maybe Teddy doesn't quite reach that threshold. The thing that you're going to hope for in this offense is the yards after catch. He can hit guys in stride. He can do that well. He can deliver the ball on time. So, no, I don't think it's a big drop off, but let's let's not bury the lead here. (laughs) Skylar Thompson is going to be active for the second straight week here. And as much as I love Teddy, I don't want to root against Teddy. I'm trying to square that with wanting to root for Skylar Thompson. Let me tell you. That, that guy, that guy could sling it down the field. I saw that he was active last Thursday night. I added Kevin on Twitter and just immediately got like 10 concerned replies. Like, oh my God, can I not even start Teddy now? Which, you know, in hindsight probably would have been the right move. But yeah, just nev- never tweet within 30 minutes of a football game unless you want to get barraged with about 20 million start sick questions. Not that there's anything wrong with sending those. You know, I will try to get to as many as possible. But with the Dolphins, look, Tyreek, Waddle, just the way they're able to des- design them touches, you know, those are still two guys that are going to be in your lineups you know whether kevin or tua or teddy is going to be under center what about these running backs though kevin because we only have two raheem mostert is moving in the right direction last week 73 percent of the snaps 15 carries and three targets i just don't think chase Edmonds is necessarily going anywhere and i wouldn't be surprised if this does swing back the other direction so Edmonds, mostert like again it's just two guys that i never feel good about putting in the starting lineup i see the usage with mostert but at the same time i also don't necessarily see the dolphins completely completely turning over this backfield to him anytime soon. Do you have an overall read on this backfield yet? Cause it's been four weeks. I feel like we should know more about them by now. Yeah. I mean, I guess my, my thing would be playing the jets, whether it's Bridgewater or not at quarterback, maybe that gives you a chance. If the defense can really 
uh, confuse and get some turnovers against Zach Wilson. Maybe that gives you a chance for a big Raheem Mostert game. I think maybe his ceiling is a little bit higher here, but you're right that Edmonds is going to be involved. We've seen him be involved near the goal line also uh, for some touchdown opportunities. So it's limited. I guess if you're going to, if you have to play Mostert, if you have some injuries, if Javante Williams, others were on your lineup, he might be a guy you can slide in this week, but don't expect big things from anyone uh, in that backfield. At the end of the day, it still is number two ranked offense in EPA per play. If we're getting double digit touches, you would like to think we're going to have, you know, bigger games down the stretch. Would help if Chase Edmonds isn't dropping, you know, layup touchdowns on the first drive of the game as well. Now, moving on to the New York Jets, as we just mentioned, again, facing the Dolphins at home. Miami favored by three and a half with that 44 point game total. I enjoy the Zach Wilson experience. Kevin, I'm not saying it's always great, but the the lows are pretty fun. Some of the incompletions he had last week, just the arm angles where he had to throw this ball out of bounds after, you know, making a horrendous decision to hold it for that long in the first place. Like you said last week, how Jameis just drives other coaches in, uh, insane. I see like some parts of Jameis's play in Zach Wilson. Now, you know, those former uh, top two overall picks, Wilson went uh, second, Jameis went first, obviously, but Zach Wilson, man, what were your thoughts on seeing him in that first game? Because, Obviously, a rough part, but that's part of the experience. Came back, got the W. How are we feeling about Zach? I mean, I think he's fine, but I, you know, I never really bought fully like Trevor Lawrence's emergence this year. And I don't know if I'm ever really going to buy Zach Wilson's emergence either. I mean, he held the ball for 3.3 seconds and it wasn't like he was scrambling constantly or something like that. He just holds the ball. And the Steelers have been particularly ineffective at getting pressure since Uh, TJ Watt went down week one, so he wasn't under a whole lot of pressure there. They've invested a lot, though, in that offense in terms of weapons, not a lot in terms of offensive line. They don't even know who's going to be the right tackle this week with Elijah Vera Tucker moving into left tackle. They got some issues there, so we'll see. Again, we'll see what happens because Miami's going to bring heat. They're going to have simulated pressure. They're going to have things to confuse Zach Wilson, so I'm not sold on Wilson yet, but he can provide you know, some fun plays and a good driver to maybe a game. It's just going to be the question, can we get four, five, six, seven, eight good drives a game? I'm not sure if we're there yet. That line scrimmage really is going to decide things because if they can hold up those rushers and Zach can start targeting some of those aforementioned weapons, he's going to have some chances to put up some points, man. This year, the Dolphins, 30th in yards per attempt allowed, 20th and 28th in QB rating. Dead last in fantasy points per game allowed to quarterbacks and 28th against so wide receivers. So looking pretty good with the pass game options. I know last week I wanted to really get a game under our belt of seeing what this, you know, version of Zach Wilson looked like. And at a minimum, he looked healthy out there. Like that was my nightmare. Kevin was a limited version of Zach Wilson who couldn't hold the ball for that long and, you know, was still trying to, but didn't have the mobility to make it happen. So still crowded. You know, Corey Davis has actually been the lead target getter when Zach Wilson has been under center, even though we just refuse to acknowledge Corey Davis. No matter what he does out there, but Elijah Moore, Garrett Wilson, I do think we can get back into that wide receiver three range and you shouldn't feel too bad about starting them. Tyler Conklin, even too, you know, just continuing to outpace CJ Uzoma with all the routes. So don't be afraid to touch on him if you do need some tight end help. The interesting part though, Kevin, was the Brees Hall takeover. Sure, it looks like we're here at this point, man. This was the first week that we saw him really outpace Michael Carter and he looked pretty damn good too in it, man. A couple of missed opportunities. He did get the game winning touchdown. Regardless, but at the end of the day, 67% snaps, 17 carries and six targets. Carter all the way down to 43%, nine carries and two targets. So, hey, it's a good matchup, man. This week against Miami, we talked about the potential struggles and just real struggles they've had really at all three levels of the defense so far this year. Brees Hall, are we ready? Is it time? Top 12? 
I don't know about top 12, but he's had some decent opportunities. He had a couple of drops. I mean, not egregious, but a couple of drops last week, which doesn't necessarily help that receiving portion. Was that one downfield a drop? Because the all 22 guy got fooled by the play fake and I couldn't even get a good read on it. I was pissed, man. Yeah. I mean, like I said, it was nothing, nothing egregious that did, that did come into play. Um, I guess for a lot of players, I wouldn't be ready to declare a positive trend of one week to mean something significant. But when it comes to rookies, I get a little bit more excited from what we've seen. So, yeah, I am buying it. And even if it doesn't happen next week, the week after and so on, it is going to be time. The question is, like, can this offense produce that going forward? Can Zach Wilson sustain things? And that's still an open question. This year, only Joe Mixon and Saquon Barkley more expected PPR points per game than Brees Hall. And a lot of that was Joe Flacco under center, just, you know, checking the ball down to his heart's desire in a bunch of games that the Jets are already losing by a lot. But still, man, four weeks now, Brees Hall, RB 23, 14, 14, and 16 without even having full control. So really are seeing the ceiling, you know, impossible floor that goes hand in hand with a, with a talent like Brees Hall, who can do a little bit of everything out there for you. Final team in the AFC East. We got the one and three Patriots this week facing off against the aforementioned entertaining Detroit Lions. Lions are three point dogs, even though they are going to be, you know, far healthier than this banged up Patriots offense at the moment. Game total resting at 45 and a half. So we don't really know who's going to be under center right now. Kevin, we have Mac Jones dealing with the anchor ankle injury. Brian Hart is in the concussion protocol. Everyone's favorite rookie now, Bailey Zappi, is going to be potentially the man, you know, leading them against the Lions league worst defense. So if it is Zappi under center, I know this is, I'm not expecting bad weather in New England. I haven't looked at the forecast just yet, but could you see a similar strategy to when they played the Bills in that snow game last year where we're going to see like 10 total pass attempts? Because if we do, man, we got it down to two running backs. It feels weird to embrace anyone in this Patriots offense right now, but just based on the matchup, based on his potential run for a strategy, like Damon Harrison and Ramondre Stevenson, could you see both guys, you know, kind of clearing that 20 touch mark this week? Well, I mean, the key is going to be sustaining drives. Again, you, you don't you like it if a team runs a lot for running back production. At the same time, you like getting near the end zone, and you like not having three and outs. I think Zappi is going to have a little bit more time here for preparation going into this week. But I'm not, you know, I'm not sold on him. They did put some training wheels on last week against Green Bay in a close game. What they will do this week will be a little bit interesting. I mean, Zappi's one of these guys where in college, he put up these astronomical numbers. He was like a gunslinger with a little bit of a pop gun arm type of situation. And the fact that he was, they took him, I mean, they took him before Sam Howell, which was a little borderline shocking in in the (laughs) NFL draft that they did take him there. So I I think they'll, they'll turn him loose a little bit. I do not see a replay of that game just because of the conditions uh, not being there, but it's going to depend really on whether they're or not, they're able to control the game. If they can control things on the ground, they would love to do that. Of course. Sound like a good thought in my head, but when I was going through the rankings, I ultimately sided with what you're saying. I got Ramondre RB26, Damian RB27. I would play him ahead of, you know, what the, whatever the hell is going on in Denver, Kareem Hunt, Zeke, James Robinson, guys like that. Still going to take, you know, some of these more better offenses, I think, though. Guys like Claude Eversolaire, Devin Singletary ahead of Stevenson and Harris, even if they might have a few more touches uh, lined up for them. Let's move on to the AFC North now. The first place, Ravens at 2-2, two and because two, we got this, you know, three-way 2-2 two and two tie going on right now. Right now, but 
the Lamar Jackson show, man, uh, Stephen Ruiz had an awesome article over at the ringer uh, last week where we just talked about the differences between 2019 and 2021 Lamar. And uh, those are something that I touched on in this podcast, but my angle was looking at the counting numbers and how Lamar was actually slightly outpacing what he did in 2019. Stephen looked at the percentage of total offense that Lamar was accounting for. And I want to say it was like 81% before last week, like something just ridiculous, man, in the past and the run game. I mean, how much longer, Kevin, do you think Lamar can maintain this? Or like, has he more or less just been doing this for five years and let's just freaking embrace the overall QB1 fantasy football, Lamar Jackson? Uh, well, first I'll say in that Stephen Rees article, it was none other than your illustrious co-host. I did see your there, tweet in there. tweet yeah. was in there with the 80% <laughs> Lamar Jackson versus 65 in, in 2019. So as always, <laughs> I, I want to credit myself first. <laughs> Second, he can keep it up to a degree, but part of this is the fact that he was accounting for, I think it was 60, 65% of the rushing production for the team on top of, of course, being involved in all of the passing production that is probably not going to maintain itself. Now they're bad at rushing the ball. And I know that JK Dobbins came in, everyone's, you know, high-fiving each other because of the fact that we, he got in the end zone a lot in this game Uh, at the same time, 13 carries for 41 yards. So he wasn't exactly tearing things up. I think people are a little bit too um, encouraged by the fact that a running back is going to solve these issues. But you're just going to get fewer of the long, long runs that we've seen from Lamar Jackson. That's going to bring down his production a bit. And as much as you could say you like him being this dominant share of the offense, I'm going to go back a little bit to, to what I was saying, even when it came to the running backs for Buffalo. You still want to sustain drives. You still don't want every time they hand it off to a running back for it to be, you know, two and a half yards in a cloud of dust, or that's not going to be good for moving the ball down the field, getting near the end zone and getting more production for Lamar. So I did think what they've done so far was unsustainable. And you got a little bit of hint in that last game when they put up a goose egg in terms of points in the second half with J.K. Dobbins starting to look more and more like a must-start. I know he only had the 13 carries last week, but we do have Justice Hill now dealing with his hamstring injury. Many uh, Greg Jennings impersonation last week where Justice suffered the hamstring injury mid-play and just hobbled his way, you know, for like 11 more yards downfield. So hopefully, you know, Justice can be back sooner rather than later. I believe Harbaugh said they don't believe it's going to be a super long-term issue because the guy's just been making the most out of his opportunity so far. You know, I know he was everyone's favorite sleeper back in the preseason of uh, 2019, I believe, but with Dobbins, not looking back to six yards per carry. J.K. Dobbins, we saw as a rookie quite yet, but still getting those touchdowns. And at this point, there's no one left. We haven't gotten official word if, you know, Gus Edwards is going to be activated off the pup, but it would make sense if they kind of ease him back in just like they did Dobbins. So at least for this week, man, home three-point favorites against the Bengals on Sunday Night Football. Got a nice little game total there at 48-and-a-half. J.K. Dobbins, someone that you're going to be forcing in the more lineups and not, for uh, for reference, I have him RB17. Like, when I was looking at guys like Dobbins versus even Najee Harris and Khalil Herbert, at that point, man, just I think the usage is going to be similar enough where I'm fine gambling on the Ravens' offense. No, no, I know. I, I totally, in this sort of situation, as you mentioned, the rest of the backfield is is muddled at best, what will end up happening there. So I think I'm fine with that. And then when it comes to the receiver group, I mean, now we got some interesting questions because we'll, we'll get, you know, more and more details on Rashad Bateman. You didn't think it was that serious because he had his helmet on, but he never went back into the game in the second half. I've heard the dreaded mid-foot sprain type wow. of talk out there. And, um, you know, that that ends up being bad more than good sometimes there. And 
can we can we put like Devin Duvernay into line? Devin Duvernay, by the way, maybe taking the ranking for like most mispronounced or slowly pronounced names you're hearing when people <laughs> are forced to talk about him now this week. I don't know. Maybe, maybe you can because they really have no one else outside of Mark Andros. I mean, it's just the ongoing joke. It's like, how many Devin Duvernay is going to score like 20 touchdowns this year? And we're just going to rank him like wide receiver 58 going into next season. So, yeah, if Bateman's out of the picture, look, it's going to be tough to get too high on him. We know wide receivers and quite like running back where we can just expect all the targets, which let's face it. It's not like Bateman was seeing double digit looks per game anyway to go over there. But, you know, once we start looking at, you know, the Josh Reynolds, the George Pickens, the Michael Gallup range, I think that top 40 spot could be reasonable for Devin Duvernay and he's going to be someone likely still available on plenty of waiver wires out there so if you are in some of those deep deeper leagues three four flex spots out there keep an eye on Devin Duvernay because yeah that Bateman injury not looking good for now on the other side of the ball in that Sunday night matchup we do have the Cincinnati Bengals back-to-back wins after everyone was ready to jump off you know the bandwagon following those two opening losses to Mitch Trubisky and the undefeated of course Cooper Rush but over these last two weeks Kevin we've seen Joe Burrow only take three sacks after taking 13 in weeks one through two is this really a change or is this just life when you're not facing tj watt and michael parsons no i I think it i think it's a little bit of both right uh that was a big thing when um you know just just tweeting off takes from my phone just giving the sack count week by week everyone was jumping all over me goes like ah you know that you know it makes sense they didn't play anyone who was any good this and that but it goes beyond that a little bit i mean some of this has to do with like the quality of pressures that you're going to have that the, the pressures are not translating into sacks, but that's definitely part of it. And he was up around 25 to 30% of pressures were turning into sacks the first two weeks. Now it's been closer to 10%. It was under 10%. It was only 8% last week. So he's still taking pressure. He's still someone who wants to invite some of that pressure. You just have to be a little bit smarter with not taking the sack. So I do think there is some sustainability to what we're seeing there. And I think we have to turn to the backfield just because I want to tip of the cap to Joe Mixon because he's officially broken the expected fantasy points model. Um, maybe this isn't the way you'd want to do it. You probably want to break it the other direction rather than break it by having now significantly. We're talking 20 more expected fantasy points than any other running back this year. Yet he is way, way, way down in terms of scoring. And he's not even looking like a guy who could be an RB1 despite having the total just pure, pure, pure workload this season. 0 for 7 on touchdowns on attempts inside the five-yard line this year. It's, you know, just to really add more context to that number because it really is just incredible what we're seeing so far. Mixon this year has 24 expected PPR points per game. The next closest running back is Saquon Barkley at 18.3. That 24 number, that's what Christian McCaffrey had in 2020. I know he only played a couple games in 2020, but, like, that was regular Christian McCaffrey getting just this asinine workload that we wanted to chase. Unfortunately... We are not playing in expected PPR points leagues, Kevin. We are playing in real PPR points leagues, and Joe Mixon is only the RB16 in that. So isn't this where we want to follow that volume, though? Again, I don't feel like Joe Mixon fantasy managers are looking to like sell low on the guy. They see all the touches the dude's getting out there as well. This is PFF's 30th-ranked offensive line and team run-blocking grade. With that said, we've watched Joe Mixon. He doesn't look good out there. He's not breaking a bunch of tackles, ripping off these explosive runs. So just a matter of time with Joe Mixon. I tend to think that this offense is too good for him to go much longer without at least getting some touchdowns. I mean, look, we saw Alvin Kamara and James Conner average 3.7 yards per carry last season, and nobody cared because they end up being good enough offenses where it didn't matter. I tend to think that's what's going to happen with Mixon. 
Yeah, no, I agree. And I, I, there could be some concern that the model is giving you some missed signals because of the fact that it's being driven by all of these touchdown opportunities and, you know, it converts or not and it's high variance. Yet, if you go right now and you say, okay, expected receiving yards amongst running back, Joe Mixon is fourth in expected receiving yards. So it's not just touchdowns. Okay, it's not just touchdowns. If you go to expected rushing yards, so again, this is not something that's going to be blown out by all these carries inside of the five-yard line. He is second to Saquon Barkley in expected rushing yards this season. This is not a fluke that he has that high of an expected number. It is enhanced by the touchdowns, and I don't know. If you want to believe that running back talent disparity is not going to drive performance as much as other positions, I think you have to keep on sticking to this, but maybe one of those situations where you're just a a carcass left at at the end, holding up your hand saying, ah, but expected fantasy points at the end of the season with Joe Mixon in your lineup. As the wife and kids get in their car and leave. But the expected <laughs> fantasy points exactly. were there. I was following exactly. the model. But yes, uh, to Kevin's point about the receptions, his previous career high was only 43 catches in a season. This year he's on pace for 72. Take away one game. Go ahead. We are still shattering that onto the two and two Cleveland Browns. Look. They had a nice stretch. Like, I mean, we talked about defenses to target in the first four weeks of the year. The Browns were one of them because you just looked at the four quarterbacks they were going to play. And, you know, seeing this start wasn't going to be that hard to wrap your mind around. Before they're by, though, they get the Chargers this week, who they're favored by three points. In Cleveland, game total 47 and a half. Now for the Chargers, they get the Patriots. Okay. Ravens and Bengals, though. Like, Kevin, there is a chance that this Browns team – We've seen a good offense, top 10 scoring offense. Jacoby Brissett has at least exceeded my expectations for him, and I would like to think most others. They could be looking at, you know, a little run here of bad luck. Maybe they go in the bye two and six, three and five, something like that. Do you think this is a legit contender? Like, because we need to look at some two parts. Once, once they have Deshaun Watson back and they're getting maybe top 10 quarterback play, that's what Watson has been throughout his career when he's been on the field. But do you think they can kind of keep the ship afloat enough in the meantime to actually have a chance to contend at the end of the year? I don't know. I guess I'm a bit ambivalent on this because they have played well enough to win all four of these games. I mean, the, the Jets comeback was one of the most improbable comebacks. It's not just that win probability models are, are, are dead. It was just a very, very weird number. And, the, you just wish that they would have been from a team perspective, you know, three and one after these four games. They had the easiest schedule in the league, according to our power ranking numbers, and they are going to have the second most difficult schedule going forward. Now, you mentioned Chargers, Patriots. I don't know who knows about Mac Jones there. Uh, Ravens and Bengals. But then even going further here, remember, Deshaun Watts is not going to be back until they're facing off against Houston later this season. Uh, after that, Dolphins, Bills, Bucks. Okay, it's not. It's not not good. And maybe got to be. This is tough to do. But when it comes to Nick Chubb, um, God, this is. I, I mean, maybe you could think about selling him at this point. It was tough to do until this point. But let's. Okay, let's see. So far this season, he's been between seventeen. Uh, he's been a bottom of 17 carries, right? He has not gone below 17 carries. He did that seven times last year. He had fewer than 17 carries six times the year before. And he's had at least 22 carries in two of those games this season. He only did that a total of three times last year. And he never did that in 2020 at all. We're going to be playing in these schedules. When you're facing against these quarterbacks, you're no longer facing Baker and Flacco and Trubisky and Marcus Mariota. You're going to have to pass in some of these games and only 10 of his 81 fantasy points have come from receiving the season. He's not getting any of that receiving work. So I do think there is 
some issues with him, what you can get for him. I don't know what you'd be comfortable. Like, are you, are you high-fiving yourself for getting Christian McCaffrey right now? I'm not sure, but maybe it is the right type of move to make. He's on pace to score 21 touchdowns. And this is the struggle we kind of run into in the early part of the year. The Browns are six in scoring offense. Like that's great. They run the ball. Well, Jacoby is doing what Jacoby is being asked to do. Do we really think the Browns are still going to be a top six scoring offense for the next 10 weeks of the season? I don't. I could see them being more of an average to below average unit. So then it will Nick Chubb's 21 touchdown pace stick. I don't really think it will. Is he going to start getting receptions? Not if Kareem Hunt gets hurt and not even if Kareem, like he needs two guys to get hurt. That's the worst part here because we saw last year, even if Kareem Hunt leaves, there's not this super duper overall RB1 ceiling, even though he is right now. But you know what I mean? The 25 expected points per game sort of ceiling that a running back of Nick Chubb's talent, you would think he could get that three down workload. We didn't see that last year. 17 and a half carries and targets per game with Kareem Hunt, 17.6 without. So they believe in Dearness enough on pass downs to unfortunately limit that i am okay selling high on nick chubb but you need to sell high and this is something you know former co-host ray mcfarland like to you know say uh, especially after talking about someone co- like not controversial like nick chubb but just someone this good please for the love of god so high it should be someone like christian mccaffrey if you were gonna take that that yeah. you know don't be sending me this nick chubb for a wide receiver too he's been an rb1 he's been an upside rb1 even without that man like we talked last week about has his expected points are better than they were like in past years like he realistically even if he wasn't outperforming everything and being the boss that he is still probably expecting to be around a borderline RB1 so that's fine to have on your team similar sentiment with Claude Edwards Hilaire he's been a top five RB I don't expect that to continue his expected fantasy points say he should be a low-end RB2 that's not a bad guy to have on your team but if someone wants to believe he's a top five running back as production has said so far that's when you can look to trade Final thing on the Browns. We've seen back-to-back big weeks from David Njoku. Obviously, the really big one in week three on everyone's bench. Got the overall tight end two performance. Did come back next week with the tight end 11 call, though. Ceiling for Njoku once Deshaun Watson is back, though, Kevin. Like, is this going to be a legit top five tight end by the end of the season? Uh, Yeah, I'm not going to go that far yet, although maybe my perception is shifting a little bit on him. I wasn't buying him after one big game. We are talking about two straight games right now of him having good production um only but only six of his 71 career games have had more than 70 receiving yards and the last two are part of that six that he's had so far so yeah he's getting the usage he's running over 85 80 of routes both of these games he's going to be out there uh i think it was in particular aj terrell had a little bit of lockdown central going on for amari cooper so that won't necessarily continue so i'm not buying him as a top five guy i'm buying him as a tight end one as you know maybe eight, nine, 10 in that sort of range. You can count on him a little bit more than in the past, but I'm still a bit in wait and see mode on him. Yeah, Mari got those clamps from AJ Terrell last week, and now I am projecting him to get that shadow matchup from Asante Samuel Jr. this week. So, hey, Amari, he's a boomer bust wide receiver three. It's pretty much what he's been even going back the last few years in Dallas. Don't expect that to change too much. Hey, we already got two booms this year. You should feel good about that. You're one in three Pittsburgh Steelers. They are now the Kenny Pickett show, Kevin. And uh, they really couldn't have picked a worse time to kind of make that move just based on the upcoming schedule. I mean, we're talking about the Browns having, you know, a tough stretch. My goodness, before the Steelers week nine bye, they're going to have to go into Buffalo, their home versus Tampa Bay. Sweet. Good luck in Miami in Philly, and then they get their bye. I mean, this could be a freaking one-in-seven team looking ahead uh, to that week nine bye. So before we kind of get to maybe some of the late-season ramifications of that, what did you think about Kenny Pickett's first half of football? 
I thought it was fine. I agree with the Steelers sentiment that, you know, we shouldn't be, you know, doing the Kenny three picket jokes, you know, all over the place. But with that said, like, okay, we'll throw out the Hail Mary one. The two tip picks were still pretty bad decisions. Like I'm not going to say those were like completely not his fault, but Hey, went out there, seemed to have, you know, I don't even want to say he looked better than Mitch because Mitch actually didn't look terrible in the first half. I, I think he had worse games this year, but overall thoughts on Kenny Pickett. No, I, I thought he looked good, honestly. I thought he was good, especially for the fact that we're talking about a guy who's coming in in the second half, wasn't getting the starter reps. I mean, the worst time to start Kenny Pickett, it just starts with not having him in there for the first snap of the season. And then it continues to get worse as time was going on. You hear all these arguments. I'm sorry, this is rant time here. You hear all these arguments all season long about, oh, you can't put him in in this situation because of this defense and this offensive It's line, Justin Fields all over again from last year. Yeah, and now you wait, and then you put him in in the situation, as you mentioned, where things are not going to get any easy going forward. The positives for, for Kenny. Looked mobile, looked like he can move around. I think he's proven in the preseason and now. He's not going to get two touchdowns rushing every week, but I think he's proven that he has functional mobility within the NFL. You know, he's not going to be uh, Malik Willis, but he, he can move around a bit back there. The picks, as you mentioned, two of them were off a of receiver's hands. Um the first one to Claypool was a little bit questionable, but I blame Claypool for being big and tall and not able to make contested catches. He fooled, he fooled Kenny Pickett into thinking he didn't realize that Claypool actually doesn't know what he's doing when it comes to using that size that he has. And the third thing, and this is why we got to get started getting excited here is I feel a little bit of a connection with George Pickens, the Pickens to Pickett, Pickett to Pickens, the, the pick to pick, whatever you want to call it here. It, it's blooming here, 70-something yards in the second half, and he was throwing it to him when he's not open, and I kind of think that is George Pickens' thing. Like He doesn't get that open, honestly, but he can make great contested catches. So from now on, when you're chucking those things down the field, let's just make sure it's to George Pickens and not to Chase Claypool. Lest we forget, you know, the offseason hype of George Pickens really started with that screenshot of him making this catch that he actually dropped like on his way to the ground, but it looked like really cool in the air because America loves a contested catch. And, you know, why the hell not when someone like George Pickens getting it done? With that said, man, it seems like we're almost ready to anoint George Pickens over Deontay Johnson. Like, haven't we seen enough in the last three years to know Deontay should dominate the target share here moving forward? Now, we didn't in the second half. The pecking order was Pickens and Pat Fryermuth with four targets. The Jets defense got three targets. Claypool had two. Deontay had two. Zach Gentry had one. So, are you fine? I guess, because look, if we're putting Pickens up into the wide receiver three range, okay, I see the talent. And if Claypool is going to take a little bit of a step back, I think that's fair. Where's that leave Deontay Johnson though? Yeah, I think he's he, he's fine. He's I, I wouldn't put him down at all. This is a rising tide lifts all boats type of situation is what you're hoping for here. And Deontay, you could say that you could be maybe more confident in his fundamental talent this season yep. because of the fact that he's been playing outside so much more and he's winning. I mean, he's winning. He's, he's getting open playing outside so he can show that maybe they'll even start to move him back inside and then just have Claypool, you know, running wind sprints on the outside, which may be his, his best role within this offense. So no, I'm not concerned. He's a baller. He's a great receiver. And you're hoping that you can get good performances out of him. And then also, more inconsistent good performances, I think, out of George Pickens going forward. You know, we want to be analysts here. I know it's it's good to take a half of football and extrapolate that out for the entire rest of the season for what target shares are going to be. But I'm very confident that Deontay Johnson is still going to be the leading receiver and leading fantasy producer of those wide receivers. 
Yeah, Deontay last week about two inches away from having a 23-yard touchdown on a really nice pass from Mitch before uh, he got benched. This week, though, Pittsburgh is going to be in Buffalo, 14-point favorites, game total at 47. I had a thought, Kevin, because I just talked about that stretch where the Steelers could, like, they're going to be favored to go 1-7 and basically before they're by. And, hey, let's say some things go off the cuff after that. Like, look what happened last year. Like, look who was winning a bunch of fantasy championships down the stretch. It was Rashad Penny on a Seahawks team that didn't really care. He got back and there's no need. I know Chris Carson had to retire. There's no real need to push him through it. We have Najee Harris, who is already not getting this sort of feature workload that we're used to seeing. That's why I bumped him down more so into mid-tier RB2 territory. He is no longer this 90%, never leaves the field guy. He's more 70% and still flirting with, you know, 18 to 20 combined carries and targets instead of 30. So hardly like he's not useful anymore, but he's already been dealing with this list, Frank, throughout training camp and then into the season. Week two, he was missing practice time. Couldn't you see like the two and 12 Steelers like Najee still banged up saying, hey, man, we'll see you next year. Let's turn over the offense to Jalen freaking Warren time because, Kevin, in a week, like just the most week five ever, we're talking about Tyler Algier and Mike Boone and these committee backs who their team's running back that we care about already got hurt. And we're still looking at Mike Boone and Tyler Algier. I don't have them ranked in my top 30. I don't even think I have Algier in my top 40. And you can say that's wrong and whatever and i'm not going to say i'm 100 right in the ranks but you don't feel good about putting tyler Algier on your flex meanwhile we have jalen warren and rashad white we'll talk about him in the nfc pod these are two guys that are one injury away from really just being every down workhorses i think jalen warren man someone that's only owned like in two percent of espn leagues even eight man leagues man this dude needs to be on rosters no, I, I totally agree with you there. I mean, I'm a little bit more confident because of the draft capital that was put into uh, Rashad White and the, you know, the talent level and the size and all those sorts of things. I'm a little more confident that he will be that guy. But you are correct. And when it comes to Harris, I don't think they'll shut him down or anything like that. This is Mike Tomlin we're talking about. He hasn't been in this situation, but he does not seem like the guy to you know, pull up the tent poles and go home if they don't have a chance of being in the playoffs. I think he's still going to continue to play through uh, the entire the rest of the season. That would kind of go against everything that he's preaching. And even for Najee Harris so far this this season, you know, his expected fantasy points, he hasn't been the guy. He would have been that guy, the Joe Mixon of, of last yeah. <laughs> season, but better than Joe Mixon, but a Joe Mixon-ish sort of last season. This season, he's more, he's RB14 by expected points so far this year. I much We have to hope for him, and I think you, you can hopefully get a little bit of excited versus what we've seen is that, again, rising tide lifts all boats. Somehow this offense becomes a little bit more functional because you say, you know, RB2, I don't know, man. That was even getting tough to, to see that, to see how this offense was going to come together for him if Mr. Trubisky started and their schedule got a lot tougher. I have RB18. That really is, you know, halfway between yeah. RB2 and RB3 uh, territories. One of those things, man, where I've just been so used to putting them around that low end RB1 territory. And I just like him versus Jacobs. Eh, no, him versus Jamal. Eh, him. Just you keep moving them down more and more and more. So, yeah, hey, if Kenny Pickett comes out there and shows us that the Steelers can be not a top five offense, but I don't know, a top 20 offense, then we can start getting behind Najee a lot more. Uh, before we keep on going with the AFC South, what a give a couple shout outs to some of our lovely sponsors no house advantage is changing the game by offering the most dynamic fantasy pl- sports platform available today play and pick them contests versus other people for the shot at winning 250k plus in cash download the app choose a contest select your player props earn points for correct picks and climb the leaderboard for your shot to win big money every day 
You can also test your skills versus the house and 20 times your entry if you hit all your picks. Better enough to five player prop over unders or individual player matchups across every major sports league, including NFL, NBA, MLB, PGA, MMA, and NASCAR. Sign up now with promo code FANTASYPFF at nohouseadvantage.com or download the app on the app stores to get a first deposit match up to $25. Make sure to check out No House Advantage today and experience daily fantasy sports redefined because it's not just how you play, but also where you play. You won't want to miss out on this. Also, shout out to Western Southern. The PFF Fantasy Football Podcast is sponsored by Western Southern Financial Group. While you focus on your roster moves, Western Southern helps advance your money moves. Buying your first home? I'm trying to. Plan to start a family? I'm trying. Wondering how to make your money grow? I'd love to. Western Southern's Playbook of Life Insurance, Investment, and Retirement Solutions helps you rest assured on game day. Team up to understand needs and address goals with a game plan built just for you. Get started now at westernsouthern.com slash PFF your first place and now favored to win the division AFC South Jaguars two and two step back last week. It was rainy. It was windy. Holy hell. That was horrific from Trevor Lawrence last week, Kevin. And you said it before you were hesitant to kind of bump him up and say, Oh, you know, look at all the bad things urban Meyer did look at this, you know, two week stretch that Trevor Lawrence had in 2022. What did we see out of Lawrence last week? Because we had the four fumbles. Like, come on, man. You, you lost four fumbles in a single 60-minute football game. He missed Jamal Agnew for a potential touchdown. The one big play he had to Christian Kirk was so underthrown that that should have probably been a touchdown as well. Like They're going up against the Texans this week as three-and-a-half-point road favorites. I think this game's going to tell us a lot about whether just how real the Jaguars are. Yeah, I mean, I feel like we're going to be saying that about them every, every single week. Um, so, like, week one, under pressure, struggled, kind of looked a little bit like rookie year Lawrence. The next two weeks, offense was playing well. Defense was playing extremely well. No real scoring pressure, not too much actual pressure from the defensive line. Week three, weather, everything else comes into play. I mean, in his there's good and bad. If you would have hit Jamal Agnew on that touchdown, they would have been up 21 to nothing in that game. And not that they would have won it, but that's a pretty good spot to be in, even if it's on the road against the Eagles. Uh, Number two, four fumbles. One of them was uh, a snap exchange problem. The other one was a fourth and three where the ball kind of just like slipped out of his hand. So that's that's on that side. Now, on the bad side, the other two fumbles, lack of awareness. He had a guy coming right in from him who just, you know, Hassan Reddick, who just stripped it from him twice. And that's the little things that you see from him and he said it's not daniel jones level of lack of awareness but you just want quarterbacks who have a little bit better feel a little bit better accuracy on some of these things you can't throw everything out but maybe you can discount a little bit because of the weather i just think it's going to be up or down for them and you know three and a half point favorites on the road sounds good but then against the texans it doesn't sound quite as good so your markets aren't really believing in this team fully yet either yeah, I think they're standing as like the new favorites to win this division is more so an indictment on the rest of the teams that we kind of expected to be doing better things than necessarily a sign that the Jaguars are fully back. And also shout out to the boat retirement, Blake Bortles. We uh we, we will always remember you, Blake. True legend. That was a that was a fun one to wake up to uh, this morning, Kevin. You know, just I, I always, you know, gotta scroll through whatever rap sheet Schefter and those guys have been saying. When I saw the Blake Bortles retirement, I started there with a smile on my face, you know, thinking back some of those memories and uh that one freaking random TV character in a, a good life. That that, that that is a pretty funny show. All right, with the Jaguars though, in the backfield, James Robinson. He's back, man. Week two, week three, they're killing teams. James Robinson scoring long touchdowns. We see a game where, yeah, they were almost up 21 nothing, but then by the second half, they were all of a sudden back in comeback mode. And what happens? Travis Etienne winds up leading the way with snaps. 
of course, you could not target James Robinson or Travis Etienne. We had to save those for design plays to Jermichael Hasty for some reason. But that aside, James Robinson versus Travis Etienne, do you think either guy is going to really be this consistent top 20 player? Or is it a situation where, okay, you can put him in the flex, we'll rank Robinson higher, both guys are one injury away from being someone we really will care about. Yeah, I mean, I think it's definitely much more of the latter. You know, when you look at backfield situations like, I don't know, what's going on with the Cowboys, maybe, or others, where you just really have to have a lot of points, a lot of opportunities, a lot of, you know, dump-offs. A, you know, New Orleans Saints, maybe Drew Brees type of offense where you say we're going to get home on both of these guys and we can confidently rank them as RB2 types. I think that's the situation that we're going to see with them going forward. It was a... A weird game script game, though, right? Because they were up early, then they were down big for a pretty significant amount of time. So they're probably not going to be in that bad of a game script this week. But then they're going to be at the Colts, where the Colts have been great. You know, they beat them 21, 20 to nothing already earlier this year. They're going to be against the Giants, not great. But then we started getting into Broncos, Raiders, Chiefs, Ravens. That's going to be the real tough stretch. I still think James Robinson has a good window for a few weeks, but once we get into those sorts of games, maybe it can flip over to ETN being the guy. I just have difficulty with either of them having confidence in what they're going to do because even a game they're supposed to win, the Jaguars might not win. If there is kind of a profile of a running back to sell high on, I do think it tends to be these two running back situations where you can get a couple games in a row of the same game script. And that leads to guys like James Robinson, just looking like their usage is a little bit better than it might actually be looking forward. So good points there. Uh, Go back to well with Christian Kirk. He unfortunately had to play a little bit more outside than we're used to seeing without Zay Jones in the picture, but the Zay Jones thing, he was questionable on Sunday, so hopefully it's not too long-term of an issue. And once Zay Jones is back, you know, we can really expect him to be actually a borderline wide receiver three, if not higher these days, especially in full PPR. That's where the passing game is going through. Christian Kirk, Zay Jones, all these other complimentary options, your Evan Ingrams of the world, you know, taking much more of a leap of faith. In second place, we got the two and two Tennessee Titans. So Kevin, I, I love when you can watch the games, you can find these analytics to back up, you know, what we're actually seeing. What the hell is the point of doing either activity if you can't find a way to mesh those? And looking at EPA per play, I figured this one out just from watching it, where the Arizona Cardinals this year are dead last in EPA per play in the first half. They are number one in the second half. And right after I tweeted that, a bunch of Titans fans were saying, now do Tennessee. So I listened. I decided to do Tennessee. The Tennessee Titans this year are the third-ranked offense in EPA per play in the first half dead last in the second half like this is supposed to be you would think football guy terms okay you get up in the second half now you give the ball to big dog and derrick henry you know runs the titans to a victory hasn't really been going that way what are your thoughts on this tennessee titans offense where they just lost trey Traylon burks now to turf toe we'll see how long he's out but Really, nobody has stepped up as a dynamic receiver. They have managed to, you know, get the record back up at 500, and they're two two and a half point favorites in Washington this week. But do you think that they're kind of middling offensive successes of Fugazi? Because again, we do have 30 minutes of all these games now telling us that they're the worst offense in the league, but also 30 minutes telling us that they're best. It's weird because their run blocking has not been bad, that bad this year, but I don't think they've been blocking well because I think we saw from Henry that he still has some juice. Uh, playing there. Their passing game has been pretty good outside of the Bills game where I don't think Tannehill really had much of a shot there. So he's actually adapting well. Traylon Burks not being there, I don't think it's a big deal. Seems like Robert Woods is coming a little bit back into form. So that'll be interesting. He can get that snap count back up to being more of an every down type of player. He could be someone you can play. But you know, outside of Henry and outside of Woods, 
the question is just going to be, are you going to get the consistency? And even if you're going to get the consistency from Derrick Henry, because I know people are going to point out the fact that 20% target share, Derrick Henry, the last two weeks, I mean, he ran 11 routes and he had two egregious drops also on those, on those targets. Like he's, he's not good at catching the ball. He's good at turning around with the ball in his hands, turning around and running like in space. He's really, really good at that. Now, how often you can set that up for a running back. It's a little bit more difficult to scheme that than some people think. So I'm not buying Derek Henry being a real receiving threat going forward. So I think for him, it's going to be, you know, up and down sorts of plays, but at least we're seeing that it's not about Derek Henry. He is not washed. The foot does not seem to be an issue. Yeah, that nullified touchdown should have been good from 22. It was a weird, like, downfield kind of hold on Traylon Burks. So this was really not one of those plays where, you know, like, he would have been tackled five yards. Burks is a bonehead. We already did, we, we already <laughs> talked about that. We think that's a perfect example. Why do you need to do that? Like, okay, there, yeah. There we go. So, yeah, anybody beyond Derrick Henry, I, I don't think we really need to be worried about too much. Robert Woods, okay, throw him in the wide receiver four discussion. Maybe get edgy and, you know, flirt with that top 36 line. But still, in this offense, there's Derrick Henry. There's everyone else. Dontro Hilliard, decent enough stash, but just realize that Son Haskins would probably be coming in and splitting up the backfield. God forbid Henry missed some time. But yes, back-to-back RB2, RB7 performances from Henry. Good to see after the first two weeks where, you know, I'm sure a lot of people were pretty disappointed with that early season production. In third place, your one, two, and one Indianapolis Colts. PFF passing grade this season, Kevin. Matt Ryan, 59.3. Carson Wentz, 58.8. This is not... Carson Wentz playing well. This is Matt Ryan playing horrendous. And now Jonathan Taylor could be missing time with a high ankle sprain. We are recording this at 1.30 p.m. on Wednesday. So we'll see what happens there. But can this passing game take a step forward if they need to be leaned on more without Jonathan Taylor? Because it sure doesn't look like it based on the first four games we've seen. Yeah, I mean, that, you know, Matt Ryan wasn't as bad last week. The problem is we're talking about Mo Ali Cox getting involved. We're talking about... Uh, Michael Pittman on back-to-back plays being a few inches away from getting a touchdown in that game. So I still think Pittman is a good option. I think Ryan's starting to get accustomed a bit. It's weird to hear, you know, the veteran and there was all this offseason hype, if you want to call that, about Matt Ryan and how great he looked. He was They were saying it was taking him a while to get used to what's going on there in the offense and to, and to piece things together. So I think that could be good. Jonathan Taylor, we'll see what ends up with the He's injury out. situation He there. just got rolled out. He just got ruled out. So he, I mean, but you weren't going to be very happy uh, starting him, even if he did play in that game in, in a limited fashion. So I do think Naheem Hines is maybe a little bit interesting to see what can happen there. They're not afraid to use him around the goal line. He could be someone they're passing to a bit more uh, with this type of offense on a short week in Denver this week. So, you know, I think Hines is like a maybe. Pittman is still a guy you got to start every week. Other than that, you're probably just, uh, it's just a pass on everyone else in that offense. The Heinz one is interesting. Uh, Nathan Yonk and I do our waiver wire show every uh, Tuesday afternoon, and we were talking about him because the preseason usage, man, played 29 of 32 snaps with the starters in weeks one and two before resting alongside Jonathan Taylor in week three. We have seen four games historically where they did give Heinz double-digit carries out there, and man, eight career games with a snap rate north of 50%. He's averaged 6.3 catches in those games, so full PPR, man. Like, it's 
it's tough. Like, how would you value Naeem Hines this week with Jonathan Taylor for sure out against guys like Damian Pierce and Jeff Wilson, Rashad Penny, who don't have the same catch upside necessarily, but they're also on offenses that maybe we're not necessarily expecting to put up 30 points each and every week with all due respect to Geno Smith. Seahawks, of course. So Naeem Hines, do you think he's more of an RB3? Let's see how involved Philip Lindsay actually is. Or is he like a legit top 24 guy in full PPR that people should be getting behind? Because it's Thursday. You know, we got to make that decision here soon yeah i mean maybe penny would be one that i would consider i guess i wouldn't pierce is starting to you know pick up a bit in his receiving work so i would still lean him and then jeff wilson is basically playing all the running back snaps now he doesn't necessarily run a route on every single time they're throwing the ball but it'd be really hard for him right now so i would put him after those two guys and i could go either way with rashad penny if you decide that unbelievable efficiency is going to continue but if you're going to start if you have him you're going to start him this week and uh, otherwise he's because he, like his his stash potential his what is their stash potential if you're not playing him when Jonathan Taylor is out? That's about the spot I'm looking at. That's right on the RB2 borderline. I think I'd play him ahead of Devin Singletary, ahead of Claude Ebersolaire, ahead of the Patriots running backs as yes, well. Yes, I like that. Yeah. There we go. All right, Texans. Last place, 0-3-1. Oh, is this the worst team in football, Kevin? We saw a little bit more from Davis Mills last week. Damian Pierce, you know, went untouched for 75 yards. But really, the one thing we've been able to embrace on this team is that Damian Pierce has been like, I don't know, a, a, a good running back. P- pretty good. Pretty damn good. Sure. Go ahead. He's an early down back. The Texans look absolutely terrible. They have not made a single transaction in the last two years running to put them in a position to win games. Are we talking about a potential 0-16-1 Houston Texans team? Yeah, I don't know about that, but I think they are the worst team in football. They are, according to like the market-derived numbers, the betting markets are the worst team in football, though. I don't know, man. The Bears, the Bears give you run. I'd never count the Bears out. You cannot count the Bears out on being the worst team in football, even if they may have a, a little bit more upside than with, with uh, fields than what we're seeing in that running game with what we're seeing with the Texans. So yeah, I'd say they're the worst team in football. So again, that goes back to the Jags, right? Worst team in football, three and a half point favorites and eh, probably not as much of an endorsement as you'd hope. And again, Damian Pierce has been very good with his opportunities, but yes. the problem is that's just one third of kind of the puzzle. We want Damian Pierce to be really good at football. We also need this offensive environment to be better, and we need the offensive line to hopefully give him more running room. They did that last week. I mean, Pierce only had 21 yards before contact combined in weeks one through three. Last week, he had 90 rushing yards before contact alone. With that said, they are going to be in Jacksonville this week as three and a half point dogs, game total at 44 and a half. Damian Pierce is setting as the RB19 expected PPR points per game. You did mention the receiving numbers. I think he had six catches for like eight yards last week, like a shout drum. PPR monster. Yeah. Yeah. You know, just 68, uh, 68 rushing yards equivalent there. You know, nothing wrong with that PPR scoring. huh? Do you think that Pierce is a sell high? Because again, if you wiped out what we knew about Damian Pierce, if you just looked at him like, okay, we have a good running back in Houston that can see, you know, flirt with 20 combined carries and targets every single week. Like, I just think, again, it depends on who you're selling them to, but if someone really wants to be buying the hype, like, do you think Pierce, like, is ever going to be cracking the top 12? That's my question, because, like, even if Rex Burkhead gets hurt, I still think someone like Dario Gumbawale could come in and take some of the annoying pass down work. Overall, rest of season thoughts on Damian Pierce. Um, Yeah, I think there are some questions here. I mean, what I will say is that, in the second half, when they were down big, when you look at the routes run there, then we had Burkhead with 10 and Pierce with 8. So he had more there in the second half than when you saw with them. There are going to be some games, could even be this week, where they're down big, and that'll be really, really a test to see whether or not Pierce can hang tough. 
what do you think his market value is though now i just don't know that that houston's texans offense is just really really tough so yeah if you can sell him for a a good you know either lateral move or a combination if you happen to have him as maybe your third or fourth running back that you drafted although he was getting up there it drafts near the end of the season then maybe you can do something like that i'm just not sure you're going to get something better when how many running backs can we even count to have dominant early down work in the NFL? Not, not that many. And I have him ranked RB 21 this week. And yeah. you can, if you want to put him up a little higher, that'd be reasonable. So it's not like he's someone you need to get off your team. And there's like a huge crash coming or anything like that, but it's your point about the hype and how ridiculous it was getting before week one with, you know, Adam Schefter and people just tweeting out like, oh, Damian Pierce named the Houston Texans starting running back and just kind of pushing aside just how horrendous this organization has been every step of the way. I mean, it's, it's like they just have a free pass to do complete dumb shit every single week. I mean, Lovey Smith, you know, punting in week one, they're, they're little dumbass uh, pre-motion plays that they've been doing just to only run the ball up the middle. It's it's just like because they have no plans on winning this year, they're given a free pass to lose like every game. So I would just, yeah, keep in mind that maybe someone is just buying the hype of Damian Pierce where, again, with running backs, we know that just based on their volume, based on their offensive environment, that's why they're more replaceable than any other fantasy position. So if you can get Pierce for a legit upside wide receiver too, maybe even wide receiver one, I would try to make that move. Let's round things out with the AFC West. Your first place, three and one Chiefs. Was that Patrick Mahomes' performance against Tampa Bay the most impressive performance you've seen this year, Kevin? Because I think it was to me. I mean, that play was the most impressive play that I that oh, I had man. seen. It's just <laughs> so that's what uh, I talk about Lawrence a little bit and the awareness, like the spatial awareness, just that almost sixth sense of things. The fact that Mahomes he knows very far in advance whether or not he's going to be able to avoid the tackle. And that's what's just weird about him. I mean, he had Devin White coming for him on the sideline. And he not only was able to avoid the tackle, he was able to avoid it in such a way that he, he's totally free, basically. And then he was able to sense what else is going on. So, like, it's almost being able to look past the next thing that's going to happen to to the thing after that and the thing after that and already be able to just read and react on that first thing such a powerful combination and that comes to play in his sack avoidance that comes to play in everything else he's able to do and finding these wide open receivers where the throw itself can sometimes be a bit off but the ability to process all that information is just off the charts Speaking of those receivers this season, Travis Kelsey, easy team high, 34 targets, second place Juju with 27, MBS with 23. Next up is Clyde Edwards-Hilaire with 14. So unfortunately, still haven't really seen any of these wide receivers emerge as anything that you can fully rely on. I believe I have Juju Smith-Schuster down in the low-end wide receiver three range. Uh, Yeah, wide receiver 36 overall. And even that, you know, I had to definitely, you know, think twice about if I wanted them that high. Marquez Valdez-Scaling, not someone we're relying on. How about Clyde Edwards-Hilaire? Lair, who every fantasy analyst has told you every single day of their lives to sell high on this man and okay if you can like that's great kevin but i don't know who's going to be giving you like this uh, another rb1 for clyde edwards Lair. to be fair he has been an rb1 this year he scored a touchdown every 10.8 touches and i guess my thing is like he still has low-end rb2 usage last year kevin during this stretch, like he wasn't getting any targets and he was really like more of an RB three in usage. So this still is the lead back in a high scoring offense as we've seen them continue to be able to do even without Tyreek Hill. So like, I don't know, is, is it just lame to be like, hold on Clyde Ebersolaire? Can we be the only fantasy football podcast in the world that says hold on Clyde Ebersolaire? Kevin, are you ready to make that jump? No, you can be the only <laughs> one. It says, 
podcast. You could be ha- you could be half of the OnlyFans football <laughs> podcast that has one person saying hold. Uh, how many? Okay, let's let, let's look at it here. So he's responsible for well, the two rushing touchdowns, three receiving touchdowns, right? Leading the the team as many receiving touchdowns as Travis Kelsey. I mean, it's just not going to continue, right? He has thirty three percent of the touchdowns on this team, and it's just weird. We've gotten to this 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 point here where. Remember when he was a rookie and then you had like Lewis Riddick and other people saying he should be first overall in your fantasy drafts. Yeah. Don't stay in your lane. Lewis, please. <laughs> uh, so that, that happened. And now we have him being the, you know, getting those sorts of opportunities on this Kansas city offense. And people are still very, very down on him. And I think the problem is Pacheco, I think look good. You still have McKinnon in there. So like Edwards Hilaire has this in his ceiling outcome for a three to five game stretch, but to predict what he's going to do over the next 10, 12, 13 games, I don't know, man. I don't think we could hope for that much more probably than low RB two sort of, sort of usage for him with sporadic touchdowns. So can you trade for better than that? Go ahead and do so. If you can trade for better than that, go ahead. Just don't completely give the guy away. But the, the, yeah, the one problem with this is that Clyde just, he doesn't really have anything fully to himself in this backfield. I mean, this was a game where Kansas City, again, blew out the Buccaneers, was never that close. I believe you know they had that two-score lead pretty much the entire game. And yeah, Clyde had 19 carries, 56% snaps. Isaiah Pacheco had 11 carries. And Jarek McKinnon continues to factor in, not only on pass downs, man, they're fine using all these guys on the goal line. I mean, McKinnon had yeah. three different chances to score a touchdown last week. You know, he was wide open in the flat. Mahomes was rarely, you know, off target. He got stuffed on the one yard line. And then he had that underhand toss that only Mahomes does throughout the league. He got stuffed at the one. And who got the rushing touchdown? Not Claude Edwards Lair, Noah Gray for some reason. So the Kansas City, like in have you seen a more weird, like unnecessarily weird offense inside the five yard line in the Kansas City, Kevin? It's every single game they're doing something weird and different that doesn't really seem to work like the amount of quarterback snaps travis kelsey's gotten too. like have you ever dove into any of these numbers it really is weird to watch on a week-to-week basis how many times can i say weird in one sentence but you know well when it works it looks cool so that's let's style factor vibes vibes is very very high now i just think the amount of think about the number one kind of offense, let's say, since Patrick Mahomes has been there in 2018, Kansas City Chiefs, how much time has been thought about this running back, that running back, Damian Williams, uh, CEH, this, that. It, it's just nothing has been really worth holding for a substantial period of time. And maybe that'll just be the case going forward. Because I think this offense, when it's running at its best, it's not scoring rushing touchdowns with the running back. And it's not throwing passes to the running back if it's running at its highest form and function. And we have to just always remember that for this offense. We have wasted a lot of time with that over the years. That's a good point. All right. In uh, second place, somehow, the 2-2 two and two Denver Broncos. Still the 30th-ranked scoring offense, and it's only going to get harder without the services of truly one of the best pure rushers of the football in the league, Javante Williams, out for the season with all sorts of tears in his knee. Please get better soon. Javante, We'll talk about the backfield in a second, Kevin. But what what's your thoughts on this passing game now it, with Russ trying to cook? Now we don't have Javante. It makes sense if they try to throw the ball even more than what they've been doing. And lost in that Raiders defeat last week where it didn't look good. Russ finally did have, you know, some stuff going in that passing game. We saw both Cortland Sutton and Jerry Judy find the end zone. And I believe, you know, KJ Hamler caught that deep ball. And there was another deep play, I believe, that might have had a DPI uh, going on there. So overall thoughts on Russell Wilson and his passing game. And did they kind of fix some things last week or were they just playing the Raiders and, you know, probably should have even put up more numbers against that secondary? 
Yeah, I mean, I think that they fix things to a bit. I mean, I guess I was a little bit higher on what they were even coming into this game. And maybe some encouraging signs for Jerry Judy. Uh, I think, though, the most encouraging thing is you could see Jerry Judy finally do something. You could see, like, Kendall Hinton gets a couple of catches. You can see K.J. Hamler. Uh, you know, he exists. He he got a he got a catch in this game. And you can still get five in fifty-two from Cortland Sutton. So I'm just still sticking with Cortland Sutton is the story for this team and the backfield. Um what, what, my take, I think my take is going to be maybe fade Mike Boone a little bit vis-a-vis some other guys. I guess I just can't get over looking at 78 career carries to you know fifteen hundred for um Melvin Gordon and an addition almost 1400 now uh, for Latavius Murray. I know those guys may be washed, but coaches love washed running backs more than anyone else coming in. So I guess maybe I'd fade Boone a bit here. If anything, Gordon has the, the upside as being someone they turn to hopefully won't uh, continue his streak as being the most prolific fumble sixer in the NFL. Not to say Melvin Gordon, they bring him back on a, they make him take less money. They don't even sign him until after the draft. They bring him back. He has four fumbles in the first four weeks of the season. And Javante still couldn't crack a 50% snap rate. So what? Melvin or Mike Boone? Veterans veterans can get away with that. A rookie fumbles. Uh, do you remember David Wilson back in the day? Oh, he fumbled and then Tom Coughlin, I think, literally tried to kill him after after that. And he, 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 well, his whole career went downhill. RIP, you know, the neck injury and everything there. But yeah, rookies can't get away with that. Second year guys, maybe. Veterans, if they're fumbling left and right, somehow they can get away with it. I, I'll see David Wilson's name like once a year when I'm doing some like first round running back study in like April. And I was like, ah, that sucks. But my point with the, you know, the fumbles and all that stuff, it's just like, again, Javante Williams, Javante fucking Williams couldn't get a full down full-time role in this offense with that happening behind him. Like I don't see them giving a full-time role to Melvin. I don't see them giving a full-time role to Mike Boone. They just brought in Latavius. This is going to be a three headed mess in a terrible offense right now. And it's tough to really see that getting a ton better right now. Nathaniel Hackett comes from Green Bay where, guess what? They've rotated running backs the entire time he was there. The Mike Boom waiver wire love this week was absolutely crazy to me, man. Like, okay, if you need someone that you're trying to get 10 carries or targets with, like this week and this week only, fine, man. But I still think Mike Boone, who, if Melvin Gordon gets hurt, which he already is a little bit banged up, Who's to say that Mike Boone's even going to have the lead job? Who's to say they're not oh, going to yeah. go no, sign? I think, I think there's a really good chance Latavius Murray is more active in this offense carrying the ball than Mike Boone is going forward. Some people like the way he falls forward. I don't know how to, I don't know how to say it. he's tall. So maybe he falls really far forward when he falls. That must be the thing because he seems to be, I mean, they brought him into Baltimore. He got some run there, you know, last season. It, it can happen. Again, Thursday night game. They're going to be facing the Colts off in Denver sitting as three and a half point favorites. I do have Melvin Gordon ranked RB 28 this week, but I do not feel good about it. I'm still going to be taking most start sit questions involving these Broncos running backs with the other guy. If you guys listen to us and you haven't had a chance to go on the waiver wire yet, again, Rashad White and Jalen Warren over both Mike Boone and Tyler Algier eight days of the week. Throw Brian Robinson in there already. Give me, these guys aren't just handcuffs. Like Jalen Warren and Rashad White are the three down handcuffs who all of a sudden are possibly like top 12 options. Once they get that job, look what Mike Boone is right now. Look what Tyler Algier and Brian Robinson are going to be. They're not even in the top 24. Don't waste your time with that. Okay. Here we got the chargers sitting at two and two Kevin, Justin Herbert leads the NFL with 312.5 passing yards per game. He's on pace for 5,312 passing yards over under is this passing game going to keep on keeping on. 
I think it is. I mean, they're not a great running game. The defense, unfortunately, is not looking as good as it was. And the schedule is tough. Uh, Facing good offensive teams on the other side, they're going to have to keep on going here. And the volume that we're seeing here is a lot, too. I mean, Austin Eckler, the touchdowns, I'm not going to expect. The touchdowns that we saw last week, all of them were scored from outside of the 10-yard line. You're not necessarily going to see that. You know, three touchdowns being scored in that manner going forward. But the receptions is really what we're just, you know, licking our chops about when it comes to Eckler and the floor that that provides with this passing offense where they're going to continue slinging it around. Looking at the rest of that passing offense, still, you know, Keenan Allen day to day with his hamstring injury. Once he's back and healthy, you know, you're starting him. And Mike Williams becomes a bit more of a boomer bust guy. But as we saw last week, keep Mike Williams in your freaking lineup. Live with the lows because we know the highs are usually not too far away with Mike. The problem, man is what to expect from these other guys. Because last week, John, on a purely route basis, number one was Mike Williams out there almost the whole time. Number two, DeAndre Carter. Number three, Gerald Everett, their tight end. We had Josh Palmer, which is 24 routes because Yagat Michael Bandy involved Kevin Michael Bandy whose name I literally did not know until Sunday night when I was reviewing this is actively factoring into the passing game and like Herbert must love him because the two the two like honey hole throws down the sideline that Herbert made the Bandy last week like were absolutely incredible pieces like it's, it's his new Jalen Guyton you know Herbert always saves his best throws for Jalen Guyton I guess Michael Bandy uh took that torch and hell we even got something named Jason Moore getting a couple routes out there did that usage scare you enough where like Josh Palmer someone that really has been given us a lot of wide receiver three weeks when either Keenan Allen or Mike Williams missed time right now based on what we saw last week just one week but I think beyond Mike Williams man unfortunately we have Mike Williams Austin Eckler and Gerald Everett probably got to fade the rest of these guys yeah yeah I I agree I mean just listen to how you said it there like Josh Palmer is giving you wide receiver three weeks when someone is injured that's that's not great right that's not the most useful type of player so yeah i think it's it's allen it's williams and then i mean gerald everett this guy is locked into your lineups right now yeah he had a 225 week but what tight end in the nfl is not gonna you know throw and mix in a 225 week in addition to having five six catches and 50 plus yards in the in the other games he's uh he's a stud he's a stud at the at, at the tight end position sad as it is to say this season, Joe Everett, tight end four, eight, 33, most recently five. This has come with yeah. Donor. This has come with Donald Parham still out. I think he will be back, but we saw this last year. They're going to rotate tight ends a little more than we prefer, but still last year, Jared Cook ended up with like 85 targets when it was all said and done. Gerald Everett well on his way. And as we're seeing 2022, Gerald Everett far better at football than what Jared Cook was able to do in 2021. Final team here, ladies and mostly gentlemen. Raiders sitting at one and three in last place. They got that W over the Broncos though last week. With that said, the passing game has been struggling all season. I believe they haven't averaged even like eight yards per attempt in a game yet. We got Devontae Adams. We got Darren Waller. Hunter Renfro has been out. But Kevin, like, is this just is this just kind of this passing game? Like they're gonna be a mediocre overall unit, or is this just four games in a new system with new players? Uh, I think it's probably a little bit of both. Again, I just think this, the ceiling is a bit lower with Derek Carr than maybe some people were suspecting coming into that season. So that's going to be the problem. Yeah, once you get Renfro back in the mix, then it becomes you know even more of an issue there. I mean, we just got to talk Josh Jacobs, right? So yeah. how much Mia Culpas are going on here? Because we've talked about all these other guys, roles we could potentially get excited about. And Jacobs already has that, right? And he looks semi-effective, and he's been an above 
at kind of expectation guy, which is probably all you can ask for when his expectation is RB6. So he's right below Jonathan Taylor as far as what you would have expected this season from his workload. I don't know. I guess I'm still not maybe as sold as some other people are. And I also think we're inside of this world, this fantasy world where everyone hates him, where I don't think you're kind of normie, normal fantasy football player had that much of a negative opinion on him. So therefore, you know, explore out there to see, to see what you could trade it for. Some people may give you value as if he is a top five running back in the NFL. He has been running like one. I mean, fourth in missed tackles, fourth per carry, tied for yeah. seventh in yards after contact per rush. I believe only Christian McCaffrey and Nick Chubb actually have higher PFF rushing grades this year. So he's looking great. They've been more willing to throw him the ball a little bit, similar to kind of like Joe Mixon, where we're still going to see Brandon Bolden out there taking some of the obvious pass down stuff, just like Pirine does for Mixon. But hey, you look up, you know, last week, and Jacob still managed to get six targets in a game that they were mostly able to lead in. So no, I don't think he's going to play 89% of the snaps every single week, but this really is a two running back backfield. I know last week they brought in Zamir White for that, you know, funky uh, fourth and one conversion or whatever. And he played like another snap at some point, but I was thinking this was going to be like New England Southwest, basically like Jacob struggling to even get to like 50% of the snaps more weeks than not. And that really hasn't been the case. So I'm drinking the Kool-Aid for now. He's my RB 13 on the week. You know, last week I'm happy. I already threw out the, you know, buy low on Josh Jacobs because we could kind of see this coming to an extent. Will he, you know, stay healthy and continue to be this efficient run the ball in an offense that again, hasn't been that great remains to be seen, but yeah, 89% snaps, 28 carries and six targets. McDaniels is willing to do it. I don't think our, you know, I'm not trying to, yeah, we're, we're wrong on Josh Jacobs. That's fine. Looking at the process, I don't think we were that out of line considering that they declined his fifth year option. You know, they seem like they were showcasing him in the hall of fame game. So it is what it is. But right now I think we're looking at again, an upside RB two at worst. He'll, probably disappoint in games where the Raiders fall behind more than they did last week. But hey, man, Josh Jacobs and behind PFF's 29th ranked offensive line team run blocking grade. You know, great day to be great if you're Josh Jacobs. They're in Kansas City on Monday night this week. Seven point favorites for Kansas City game total at 51. Chiefs blowout. Kevin, you got any thoughts on that Monday night game before we get out of here? I mean, I think it could be very relatively close. The Raiders are Raiders are a decent team. I mean, they were, you know, uh, the the 0-3 start was not really indicative of how, how good they are. And I think for Jacobs, and I may have already discussed that here before, the problem with the Josh Jacobs offseason stuff wasn't that the take was wrong, that he was a limited ceiling-ish sort of guy. And maybe you could still say that's the case, right? Because high-end RB2, he's not going to get any higher than that. The problem was there was no like price sensitivity. It was just don't draft Josh Jacobs. And then he started falling and then he was falling and then he was falling. And then there was it's kind of like David Montgomery situation where there was no threshold. No one ever said, okay, this is when I'm going to actually start drafting him. Uh, that was probably more the issue than anything else. That was the thing, you know, the fabled RB dead zone. I think at some point certain people were just like, oh, yeah, you don't draft running backs in rounds four through, you know, five or six. But it's like, well, hey, if the running backs you were drafting in round four last year are now available in round seven, like they're still not yeah. a RB dead zone. Now, you know, we've come back alive. We got the hand sticking out from the grave at that point. So anyway, that's going to wrap up this edition of the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. Hope you guys have been enjoying the AFC NFC previews as much as Kevin and I enjoy barking about them each and every week. So, Kevin, what you got for the folks over at pff.com i mean same stuff as as usual unexpected points podcast uh, quarterback ranking showdown analysis and then ceilings and stacks for dfs this week 
Great day, be great as always. I got my new and improved positional previews up there. Was going to town in Excel, Kevin. I figured out, you know, just one copy paste per team to get all my shit in there versus manually doing it. Just saving me all sorts of time that I probably could have done five years ago, but you know, better late than never. So check that out. You know, I was, I was taking the easy way out a little bit first four weeks, but go check out that running back article in uh, particular. I am proud of it, ladies and mostly gentlemen. Once again great day to be great as always so for kevin i'm ian thanks so much for tuning in to pff fantasy football podcast until next time take care everybody